Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering, oops, sorry, <laughs> forms for ordering CDs for these speakers and a place to donate to keep these spe- this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Susan. Hi, my name is Susan, and I am a compulsive overeater. Thank you all for coming out tonight. Um, I guess I can say I'm nervous. Um, but that's okay, because then it means I haven't planned anything, and I've just been asking God just to be, let me be a channel today. Um, I came into the rooms right at the end of December in 2014. And, um, oh, let me back up. Um, I came to, I went to a meeting probably, oh, four years before that. And I went and I looked around the room and said, oh, nobody looks like me. Nobody's got what I've got. Thank you very much. Took my newcomer packet and out the door I went. Speaking of newcomers, before I'm jumping all over the place, welcome, newcomers. You have found a a place where I hope you will find serenity and peace. um, And I hope you will be able to call us home. Um, It's a place where I don't have to make a long explanation about why I X, Y, or Z with food because somebody in the room has done it and more. And that's comforting. That, that's, uh, that's comforting, so welcome. Um, and so I went back out and I came back right at the end of December of 2014. And um, this might have been my first room. I might have gone to another room first, but this meeting might have been one of my, I know it was one of my first meetings. It was not my first because the person who was here gave me a book. And it actually was part of her amends process of paying it forward. And I had met her at another meeting, but it was the end of December. And I remember I sat in the seat, and of course I sat in the back. And um, I remember feeling like, oh my God, I'm home. I'm home. You know, I'm just home. Um, and I didn't get a sponsor right away, about six months. Um, but I kept hearing you talk about, um, you know, if you can't eat something like a lady or a gentleman. And I thought, hmm. And so in February, the thought occurred to me that I could not eat nuts out of a bag or cheese off of a platter like a lady. Mm-hmm. One happened. And so God just lifted it. Just lifted it. So February, it'll be five years. And I have no prescription. I have no idea why. It just, my willingness, I guess, my willingness to be able to say I'm a compulsive overeater and those foods I can't eat with any sort of regularly, eat regularly and not have it turn into a whole fest. Um, So June, I got my first sponsor and um, a 15, and she suggested I give up recreational sugar. And that was on a Saturday. And I said, I'm going to this party tonight. I know there's going to be homemade this and that. I'll start on Sunday. I had my homemade this or that, and I started on Sunday. And that absolutely lasted about 18 months. Um, and then I, you know, and it was, and this is just be an example why it's important to check in with your sponsor because they have sometimes 
a different idea that might be <laughs> a little better than my own distorted thinking. And I was at a restaurant. Um, they served dessert. I didn't have dessert. I was I didn't. I don't eat like the pies and necklace. I knew that, but this was like uh, was uh, chips with I thought just like cinnamon, just cinnamon on them. Well, of course, it was cinnamon sugar. And I took the first bite, and I thought, well. And then I thought, oh well. My perfectionism said, okay, you've broken your abstinence. The good news was I only had the one chip, but I didn't call my sponsor that night, and I don't think I told. I don't think I told her the next day because I had already decided I was start. I was starting my abstinence over. Um, and if I had just reasoned it out with her, um, probably might not have had to start that abstinence over. But I don't look back on it with any regret because it's what I needed to do at that at that point. So I started again, and it took maybe three four months to kind of get back on board. Um, and then my current abstinence is, is um, April first, um, two thousand. 17. And that is no recreational sugar, um, which for me, which is just for me, I also include, I don't do agave and I don't do honey. Um, I do artificial sweeteners, um, or if it's the fourth or fifth thing on the bottle label. I'm okay with that. Um, Along the way, I've added in bread, and that what I thought was going to be a hard one. And it was my willingness, because I don't lift this stuff. This stuff for me has just been lifted. And from there, um, two, about, three, about three weeks ago, it was tortilla chips. And I struggled with giving up this tortilla chips. More than the sugar. She said the sugar was gone, the sugar was gone. Been in pastry stores, all that. Never looked back. So tortilla chips were a bit of a struggle for me. Um, but for today, three weeks later, they're gone. Um, so now I'm going to back up. Um, what it was like when I was a kid. I always thought I was fat because my family told me I was. And when I look at pictures of, you know, five-year-old, eight-year-old Susan, I'm not. In fact, in some of the pictures, you can think, might think I was skinny. Um, but there was always a lot of food. My grandmother, I believe, was a compulsive overeater, and she was chubby. And she and the dog and I would get into bed, watch whatever the soap operas were. We were watching back in the day. And we had chips and we had popcorn and we had all the goodies right there. Um, and, and that was some of the stuff that I carried into to being older. It was like eating at night, eating in bed. Which I think now, as an adult, that's not what I do. That's not where I eat my food. Um, and then I got to be a teenager and I bloomed up a little bit. Um, and because as a good girl teenager, we all thought we were too fat, no matter how fat or thin we were. And so I started, to, I started dieting. And, um, you know, and I, I could be a pretty successful dieter. The problem, as I've heard in these rooms, is not the starting the dieting. It's the maintaining, the, the, it's maintaining good food habits. And I don't have the ability to do that because I don't have, I have an, I don't have a regular, um, connection with food, because I don't think food is just for nourishment. I think food is to comfort me. I think food is to commiserate with. I think food is to celebrate with. It's not just to keep my body so I can be a channel for God. Um, and so, and I did a lot of those things with, you know, with food. My, my weight swing wasn't so large, you know, 25 pounds, maybe 30 pounds heavier than I am now, um, but it was enough to make me uncomfortable. I had broken up with a boyfriend of 11 years, and I was in Mexico, and every night, I was walking blocks, blocks, 
back from the 31 Flavor Place to the where the dorm where we were staying, and I'd have either a pint or a quarter ice cream every single night, and I was there seven weeks. So my mother said she thought I she said I rolled off the plane, <laughs> you know. But that's how I soothed my feelings, you know. The ice cream would make it better, and of course it didn't. Um, and with and the following year, I went to Spain. I was teaching I was teaching uh, teachers how to speak Spanish. And the following year, I had a boyfriend, and I went to Spain, and I had a, a, one of, a great diet. It was tab one day, one day of tab, and then I could eat breakfast and lunch, but it was just, you know, like a fruit and a, and a, and a protein and a veggie, and I wouldn't eat dinner, did lots of yoga, and I came back 15 pounds lighter. It was a pretty good deal. But again, it's, you know, it's, it was using food. I was restricting with food that time because I thought that that would make it better. Um, it would make me happier this time around. And it didn't, in either case, it was not the answer. The answer was the fact that I was not okay with me. I was not okay with the body that I had. And I certainly did not have the connection that I have today with the God of my understanding. You know, I grew up with, I grew up going to church. We weren't Bible thumpers, but I, you know, I grew up with a God and understanding and, you know, and I carried that, you know, that God with me. Um, but it basically was an ER God. So when I couldn't do anymore, when I was at the, I was at the last breath, I'd say, okay, God, that's yours. But I got all this. I got 99.9%, but here's that 1.1% that I can't handle, you know, and the God did what he did. God, God gave what God said, okay, well, if that's only what you want me to handle, I'm not going to take on more. Um, and then I came into the, I came into a different room, um, a while ago, and that's where I learned to change my relationship and what God is to me in my life. And because I had a God of my understanding, I brought that God, which is, who is kind and loving, into these rooms. Um, you know, I still brought my character defects of, once I had new ones bloom on me. (laughs) And new character defects that were, they were there, but I think because, in, in starting on my journey, I had other ones that were more visible. Um, these kind of like hung out in the background. And so the ones that came up here, perfectionism and um, my need to be right and my self-righteousness, big time, big time. Um, and my uncomfortability with not knowing. Um, because I always thought I had to know, because that was the house I grew up in. It's like you had to have the answer. You had not only did you have to have the answer; I had to have their answer, and my answer wasn't good enough. So that's where that growing up of not enoughness came from. You know, I wasn't good enough. My choices weren't good enough. Um, the college, the not the college, but the um, the the career I wanted to pursue. Um, wasn't good enough, and so my mom said, well, you know, go into this career because you'll get a pension, it's a lifelong thing, you'll get a retirement, and, you know, I'm a, I was, I'm a people pleaser, and so I did, and I was, I was more, I was very much a people pleaser with my family because I'm an only child of an only child, and today I have an only child, all three, all three generations of single females. And um, and I was so desperate to be loved, and I was so desperate not to be left out, that I would do what they told me to do, you know. And my girlfriend once she says, "Why do you always think you have to have an answer?" I said, and I didn't know that that's not how people lived. 
I thought if you asked a question, you had to give an answer. And that you could say, I don't know. You could say, you know, I really don't want to talk about that. Now, I didn't know I had those options. And I learned those options in the room. Um, because, you know, I don't have to tell everybody my business. I don't have to tell, you know, I, I don't have to tell anybody my business, including my sponsor. You know, that's a choice. But I choose to be rigorous. When I came into these rooms, I made the commitment to God and to myself that I would be rigorously honest with my sponsor. And to this day, that has happened. Even when I overeat at night, even when I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe, maybe I don't know what amends. You know, maybe I just won't tell her. And somehow when I'm having my call time, it just comes out. It just comes out. And I'm grateful that I have the willingness to let that, even though my mind tells me one thing, I'm willing to, that I have the willingness and the spirit to be rigorously honest with her. And the more rigorously honest I am with her, the more rigorously honest I get with myself and I can be with others. Um, Because this is a WE program. This is not a program that I have to do alone or that I get to do alone. Because I learn from all of you. I learn by listening to the podcast. I listen. I learn by example. Um, and I was talking to a fellow on the way over here, and I was, you know, it, and I was telling her. I said, there, I, "There's not emotions that I eat over anymore. I don't know why that is. I don't eat over worry. I don't either. I don't either eat over being a victim. I don't eat over being angry." I don't eat over that anymore. What I still eat over, and the eating over is the wanting to eat at night. It's when I'm tired. When I'm tired, I have, I am totally unable. I shouldn't say totally. More times than not, because sometimes I can find my God, and then I then I get a little. You know, I get a, I get a little. I get support. Um, but when I'm left on my own, if I'm tired, the food is the food calls me, and um, and when I'm tired, it's. I, I, I want to overeat. Now, the good news is that I don't have a lot of junk. I don't have any junk food in my house. That's because I live alone. Um, and so, but it might be an extra, like even with dinner, because I'm a compulsive eater. That's, that's where my, my compulsion is, is that I want more. I want a lot. It doesn't have to be, it could be a bag of chips. It could be three loads of bro- broccoli. It doesn't matter. I just want more. And... Um, so, you know, my nighttime is my, ha- I'm in t- I can have a snack and, you know, it's like an extra scoop of unsweetened cocoa in my almond milk. One is fine. Two is better. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, that's where I'm still using the food. Um, but I don't, I don't use it when it comes to issues of, you know, I'm concerned about what's going on in my daughter's life. For what, she's 29 and it's none of my business. So that's the other part of that. Um, but the food has also, by getting the food out of the way, it allows us to have a relationship that we would not have otherwise. Um, I was with her last night at an event at her church, and I got to see, because I wasn't thinking about the food, I wasn't thinking about my snack, I wasn't thinking about, okay, can we hurry up and get out of here so I can go, whatever I was going to do with the food, I got to see her be a channel for God last night. What a blessing. What a God blessing. And when I'm not in the food, I get to see you guys be channels for God. And how, there's, another, but there's another way to handle it. Um, I go to a lot of meetings. I go, I'm a retreat girl. I like all that kind of stuff. And I was going to the New Freedom Retreat a year ago. I'd been, I'd been three years ago, and I loved it. I was going 
a year ago. And um, I remember I'm on the 405. It's pleasant going to Holy Retreat Center. And I remember thinking, I wonder what's going to be in the buffet. <laughs> I wonder if there's going to be enough. And, and, but the good news is that I could, I, and halfway there, I caught what I was doing. And I thought, so you're not wondering what so-and-so did last year, and you're not wondering how so-and-so's program is or their kid. No, you're worried about the buffet. And I thought, and that's why you're going to the retreat, because you're a compulsive overeater. Um, and, you know, and, and there are times when food is more in the forefront of my mind, um, but I can see it today, and I can make a choice to let it stay there, or I can make a choice to say, hmm, okay, maybe I can say the serenity prayer. Maybe I can focus on what's out my window. Maybe I can open the door for somebody, because that's always an answer for me. Being of service to someone else always gets me out of me. And being of service is opening a door. Being of service is smiling at somebody as I walk down the street. Being of service is actually having a commitment at a meeting. Being of service is sitting quietly in a meeting. Because... Um, I never know when I'm going to be an example for somebody. And it could be a good example or a bad example. You know? um, or just, just somebody else gets to let a little bit of air out of their balloon and says, oh, me too, me too. I know that that phrase has been used for other things that have gone on in society, and as sad as that is. But the me too is being part of this group. You know, I'm a me too as a compulsive overeater. I'm a me too that eats late at night. There's a group of us, about 10 of us on a text line, and we text each other late at night. Or sometimes in the middle of the day, sometimes we send each other literature, but it's just that idea that no matter what, we're there. I'm not alone. I'm absolutely not alone. And that, for me, as an only child, um, there's always a fear and always something that loomed for me. You know, I'm alone. I had a mother and a grandmother. They were 17 years apart, and they were always very close. And I always felt like I was the outsider. I was the one that looked at me, looked at me, and nobody wanted to look at me. And when they looked at me, they wanted to tell me how wrong I was doing it. Um, and today, you know, and so I walked around feeling invisible for decades, decades. You know, please don't look at me, but please look at me, because the ego wanted you to look at me so I could tell you how wrong you were and how right I was, but please don't really see me, and I avoided you seeing me by not being honest. I avoided you seeing me by having a wall up and not being vulnerable. Um, I avoided you seeing me because if you, see, if you saw me, you'd reject me, and um, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to feel the pain of one more person not liking me. Um, and that was all in my head. A lot of that was all in my head. Because this program resides in, I mean, not the program, but my disease resides in my head. You know, the broccoli, the whatever it is, is just sitting there. It's not, it's an inanimate object. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't, it does not hurt me in any way. It's not attacking me. It's not, it's not saying, here's the booby prize. It just sits there. It's my head that makes up these stories that makes it something else. And my brain can be very creative. It has been very creative over the years because it makes it, ooh, that would be yummy, and that'll take that angst away. So let's have another helping of whatever that is. Um, 
you know, oh yeah, let's, you know, let's go out to the buffet place. Instead of going to the little cafe place that's very cute and just they have you serve a small plate, you know. Um, OA is a way for me to connect with others that I never knew how to connect to or connect with in a way that is meaningful, in a way that is helpful, in a way that um, reminds me that God is all or God is everything or God is nothing. And I believe God is everything more of the time. I still have my portion that I want to hold on to. And that's part of my brain, my, my broken brain. Um, but I know that my God is there and that he comforts me and he loves me unconditionally. And when I've learned to do that, then I've learned to love others unconditionally. Not for what they have, not for who they are, not for what they can give me, but just because they're a human being like me. And I've learned that all I need to be is a garden variety human being. And on the days when I'm following my, my, my plan of eating, yay. And on the days when I'm not, you know, I still might be an example for somebody else to not feel alone, to not, to not beat themselves up. Because it's just one day. All I get is now. All I get is today. Um, and... I get to be in the day to the best of my ability. And I don't get to go back and compare it. Because, you know, I've had, there were days where I thought, oh yeah, I nailed that. And today may be a different kind of day where I was good in my program, but it didn't measure up to that day or it doesn't measure up to your day. And today I don't have to do that. Today I can just say, I did that. I can put my head on the pillow and say, you know, I did the best I could. Thanks to God for getting me through today. And I please hope, please let me have tomorrow. Because all I have is today. Tomorrow is not promised. So dreading the past does not help me. I'm a compulsive overeater. And there have been times in my life where food was what I needed. And food is what I did. And I did the drive-by, the CVS, and got the candy bars, and got, I had them in my mouth. You know, before was because I wasn't going home with it. Um, you know, there, you know, and tomorrow, I don't know. Okay, well, tomorrow I'll be better, as if today I'm being bad. Today I just overate. It's not of, it's not, I don't have to judge myself using those words good and bad, because I was just who I was today. And tomorrow it's going to be different, just because I will be different, because I've been at this meeting, because I will have talked to somebody else. I will have seen somebody else that I have not seen in a while. I will over, and sometimes it's not even, being in a conversation is overhearing a conversation where I hear what I need to hear. You know, the podcasts um, are huge. You know, I, li- I don't listen all the time, but the Vision for You meeting is huge because it's always accessible. You know, all I have to do is be willing to listen to somebody else's idea, and I always hear something I need to hear. Um, because when I'm willing to listen to a podcast, I'm willing to say to God, okay, my way is not the only way. Let, let me hear, let me have another way. Let me hear another way for today. Um, you know, I've, I've worked the steps in this program. I've worked them. I have a sponsor, and I've worked the steps um, through the OA workshop twice, and, um, and I've worked the steps before my other program. And things came up this time. A lot of, you know, a lot of the stuff that came up in the first time, 
have been resolved or I'm working on. Um, and the people that came up, my, my, my daughter came up, my mother came up, and my ex-husband came up. And I'd made amends to my ex-husband, you know, three, four years ago. So, and I was clean. I'd made, I'd made amends with my daughter, and I was clean. My mom passed long before I was in program, but again, I, God was in the mix. And um, when she passed, we were clean. Um, you know, but there's still some stuff in me, because it has nothing, it's, there's nothing out there that makes anything over here wrong. It's my brain. It's my brain. And so the the non-forgiveness, the judgment, all of that of my mom, um, some of that came back up. Um, and I got to do a fourth step on it. And I got to see my part. And I got to write what I would do differently about it. Um, perfectionism is one of those things. That's a really big one that's come up in OA, is that perfectionism is like when I ate the one chip. Because I, wasn't, I was not perfect. I did not talk to anybody. I decided that therefore I needed to start my abstinence over. So I did, you know. And I'm not, I'm not regretting it. It's what I needed to do. Um, there are no mistakes in God's world. I know that. And if that's being the case, then whatever happens on any given day, whether I judge it right or wrong, um, is just what's going to happen. Because if I believe that God's in charge, most of the time, um, then it doesn't matter what happens that day. Because I get to let it be a lesson, a blessing, or an opportunity. You know, something happens, something I'm happy with or something I'm not, you know, what's the lesson there? What's the blessing there? Where's my opportunity to do something to replicate it or to do it differently? Um, you know, and I, I, I personally love the traditions because that's how I get to be out in the world. You know, the first tradition applies wherever I go, you know that our common welfare comes first, you know, and personal progress depends upon unity. The unity of wherever I am, if it's in a meeting, if it's in the grocery store, if it's on the 405, you know, that's the group I'm in. Um, and, and that's the group that I have to put, um, that I have to take care of at the moment, that I have to be a part of at that moment. You know, the seventh one says every group ought to be fully self-supporting. That's me too. I get to be self-supporting not only financially, but emotionally and spiritually. You know, where am I in my spiritual being self-supporting? Am I still looking at somebody out there, some person, place, or thing to make me feel okay, to validate me? You know, you, you say, you give me a compliment. Oh, you did a good job with that. Well, I want to puff all up. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're right. Yes. You know, and then somebody says, has a different opinion and one that I'm not so in alignment with. You know, then I get all deflated. You know, that's not me being self-supporting. I can ex- I can accept the compliment as a little love nudge. I can accept the 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 one maybe looking at it in a different way. I can accept that as you know maybe this maybe it's an opportunity for me to do take a look at my program and do something different. But what I have to do is stay in balance. I have to, you know, not be so much fully up and down on the teeter-tower. Minor adjustments, you know. And, um, and that's what the program, you know, that's what the program does, does for me. You know, where, where, am I, where am I spiritual today? Have I done my, have I, have I, have I gotten on my knees? Did I say my prayers? Did I read my books? Did I reach out to my sponsor? Did I, did I meditate today? You know, 
am I, is my spiritual condition okay? I mean, if we're always wanting to make sure that my physical condition was okay, at least my physical body, because I suffer from that dysmorphia. You know, there's one little poofy thing out of whack on my body, and I'm thinking, oh my God, I've got to diet again. No. You know, maybe it's just sit-ups. Maybe it's, maybe it's just that I'm old and I get a little poochy stomach because my muscles aren't as tight as they used to be. And who cares? You know, who cares? Because I can be fit as a fiddle and be so fit, so spiritually unfit and so emotionally unapproachable that I could look great, have the best outfit, and not one person talks to me because I'm setting out such negative vibes. I'm sending out that I'm, I am so scared that please don't, I, I'm saying look at me, but I'm really saying don't look at me because I'm desperate, I'm lonely, and I'm not good enough. And so how I look physically is how today gets to be more how I just look physically. Um, I was a scale wear daily, sometimes twice a day, you know, get on that scale. Had the morning routine, you all know what that morning routine is, you get out of bed and do your things and close off and you jump on the scale. And so I've been in since, I've been in a year. I'd been in a year, but then a year, but a little bit more. It was January 1st. I got on the scale. There was, did not register anything. I said, oh, okay, got off the scale. Got back on the scale. Oh, must be the batteries. So, you know, rub the batteries and put them back in. And I said, okay, maybe need some new batteries. So this is the insanity, right? You know, didn't get it right the first time, so we're going to keep with the batteries. Put the new batteries in. I said, okay, I know now. Got on the scale, nothing. And then I just laughed. I stood there in all my glory and just laughed out loud because I felt like, really, God? Okay, I'm not, I can't do the scale anymore, huh? Huh. And I have not had a scale in my home. I think that was 16. I have not had a scale in my home, nor had the desire to have one in my home since then, since January 1st of 16. You know, and I, and, and not that I don't know how much you weigh because when I go to the doctor, sometimes I look and sometimes I don't, but you know, I got clothes and I know how those clothes fit, you know, and if I, they're a little tighter than what I want, then I can do something about that or not. Um, but there's, you know, this program gives me the freedom not to be a slave to food, to feelings, to the scale, um, to a lot of things that I used to be, you know, I used to be a slave to. And those were the things that I thought would make me better, you know. And none of that makes me better. What makes me better is carrying the message, being in connection with God, listening to you guys, um, showing up and being of service. Uh, and knowing that I get to be in the day. I get to, I get to be in the day. Um, when I'm worried about the food or thinking about the food or making the food the issue, then I'm taking myself away from God. I'm taking myself away from my fellows. I'm taking myself away from my most authentic self because I'm putting something in, I'm putting something in the gap there. Um, and you guys teach me that I don't have to put anything in the gap because the gap is in my mind, you know? Um... I'm okay, just like I am. Um, I make outreach calls. I get outreach calls. Um, I got an outreach call today um, from someone who comes in for uh, the Thanksgiving in the park. And we have a regular routine now. I pick him up and bring him to the park and 
Then he goes on to do the rest of his day. Um, you know, he's, and he said he's making three. He's committed to making three outreach calls a day because he doesn't want to do it, and it, does, it, but he knows it's the right thing. And I think how many things in my life I didn't want to do and I did, and they didn't make me feel better. I always feel better when I connect to you, whether I'm receiving a call or making a call. And sometimes it's just the act of picking up the phone and dialing the number. I get a, I get an answering machine. But I have taken an action. And I learned that from you guys. I was not a very much of a phone person in my other program. Um, but I saw you guys talking about outreach calls. And I saw you guys making outreach calls. And I liked getting calls. And people, thank you. And I liked getting calls from people that said, hey, how are you doing today? You know? And that's how I learned. And that's how I get to have friendships. Um, because as an only child, that was one of the things I was always so afraid of, that nobody would like me. Um, and today I have friendships inside of the rooms and outside of the rooms. And I have a relationship with the daughter that I adore with all my heart. Um, and our relationship is so much better because she's changed. She's gotten older. I've gotten older. And I work my program. Um, so I think that's where I'm going to stop and uh, open for questions. Thank you for letting me be a The question was how I changed the God of my childhood to the God that I have now. There are a lot of things that have happened in this program that I, all I can say is magic. And I, I changed the God because I, beca- I, I heard you guys rely on God, the gods of your understanding, and the way that you interact with your God. That gave me permission, because I'm a, I needed permission, girl. It gave me permission to say, Huh, it's not just the, the, the stuff that I don't think I can handle. Maybe I can just have a God that when I almost trip, I can say thank you to. Because when I fall down, I mean when I don't fall, even when I fall, but when I don't fall down, um, I, get to, I get to give everything to God. You know, I get to give, I get to give the, the fact that, you know, I was willing to say yes. Oh, and thank you, Deborah, for asking me. Um, and the day she called me, I wanted to say no. I said, really? I was, I was struggling. And, um, and we talked a little bit. You know, and there's God in that. So it's just about bringing God into not only the, 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 the formal prayer and meditation, but it's also just bringing God into the little things in my life, to the little interactions, to be able to, to see the wind. Um, and so I think for me it was more unconscious than a conscious thing of, I'm doing it. Th- I did it that way. I'm doing it this way. It just kind of morphed. Thank you for your share. Did your abstinence change any of your relationships at work? By the grace of God, I'm retired. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, she wanted to know if my abstinence changed my relationships at work. It has changed my relationships. Um, because I can be present to the people that I'm talking to. Um, you know, I, I, I was one of those people at, at work. I could, you know, try and arrange things in the refrigerator so it looked like it was okay. Um, and today I can go to a party and not eat or eat, and I can be present to the people I talk to, and that's, that's how my absence has helped me 
to be in 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 today and to be more compassionate for people because I didn't think I had to be compassionate because it was all about me. So if you overeat, like so, if you eat like all that broccoli or something, is that, does that mean that you've cheated and you've lost your, I don't know if it's sobriety or whatever you call it, you lose your time? Is that, is that the thing about overeating anonymous or... The question is, is that because I eat overeat broccoli, um, does that mean I've lost my absence? My absence is the things that are the specific foods and or actions that I am committed to not doing on a daily, on a daily basis. And if I do, and it has to, I've been taught it has to be black and white. And so if I eat chips now, because chips are now part of the foods that are, I'm, that are on my absence list, the foods that I don't eat, then I would be starting my, after I talk to my sponsor, I would be starting my, I would be starting my abstinence over. Okay. Now, overeating broccoli means there's also a food plan. And a food plan is three meals a day, optional snack for me. Okay. Um, and so by me eating a, a, a bunch of broccoli at dinner, I haven't broken my abs. I've eaten, I've overeaten. But that specific thing is not on my abstinence list. So no, I don't, I don't start my abstinence again, but my abstinence are those specific food or food behaviors. And I may have to start looking at some of my food behaviors, but not yet, um, that interfere with me being present. So yeah, I get uncomfortable. I need to talk to my sponsor about it. I might need to write about it. Um, and I definitely need to pray about it. But it does not change the number in terms of the number of days of my abstinence. But it can. I, and I don't, because people in these rooms, we've changed, those numbers have had to be started again. And it's not a fearful thing. It's not a shameful thing. It's a thing that has happened because we are compulsive overeaters. And sometimes we just get to start. We get, by the, I think it's a gift to get to start again. Um, I currently am not sponsoring, but I am open to talking about sponsorship with anyone and to see if, to see, to see if it's a fit. And would you be, um, have you ever sponsored somebody who has a different de- definition of abstinence, such as uh, a sponsor who eats sugar and you don't eat sugar? I, thank you. She wanted to know about sponsorship. She wanted to know if I sponsored people who have a different abstinence than I do. And her example was, since I don't do sugar, could I sponsor somebody who does eat sugar? Um, I've not had that, so I can't tell you yes. I, um, I can't tell you I wouldn't. Um, I think we'd have to talk about it, and I would talk to my sponsor about it. I'm good about going back to my sponsor because she knows me better. And to get get her input on that, I feel like I could. And as I said, we'd have to we'd have to work it out to see. Thank you. Hi, Susan. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I got a lot out of it. You mentioned something about retreats. Can you um, share with with us the value of those? How you benefited from retreats? Um, the question was about benefits for me of going to a retreat. Um, it's a day and a half of turning off the phone, 
of getting out of my regular routine and of being with people that I don't have to explain one thing to. <laughs> it's usually some usually it's out of town and it gives me space to breathe. I don't have to think about getting my extra thing there and not doing it over there and because the food's all prepared. And it's going to be what it's going to be. And I, in, in, I, I used to think, okay, God, not, there's not going to be enough for me. I have to be the first in line. And now sometimes I challenge myself to say, God, there's going to be in line where whatever it is you want me to have, and I can be the last one in line. I get to, be with, I get to hear people with long-term uh, abstinence. I get to listen to speakers who have experience in doing things other ways. And I get to share one-on-one with, um, with people who get, who get me and get, and get the program and why we're here. Do you um, take a, a consistent inventory with your OA sponsor, and if you do, does that uh, help your food stay clean? I do a nightly 10-step. Oh, okay. Uh, by, by being accountable to my sponsor, paraphrasing, by being accountable to my sponsor, does that help me keep my food clean? That, yes? No. Not just your food, but maybe fears and resentments that come up on a daily basis. Yes, fears, resentments, whatever. Um, I would say yes, because the way my sponsor has me do it is, and I took this, she just wanted me to report my food at first and then to do a gratitude list, and, but she started sharing hers with me nightly, and so what mine looks like today is that I, I, I um, account for my food, and because dinner was, is the meal that I struggle the most with, she has me pre-commit my dinner. So it's dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner, breakfast, lunch, dinner for the day. Then what comes after that is my gratitude, you know, what I'm grateful for today. Um, and then after that comes, and I, it, 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 the question is, um, I'm drawing a blank, hold on. Um, okay, what, what, are, what, are, what character ass, assets did I display today? What character defects did I display today? Do I owe an amends? Yes, no. Um, and that's my time. Thank you so much for letting me do it.